Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Joe Cohane, author of the new book, The Power of Strangers. And if you want to level up your relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good pal, Travis Chappell. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Joe Cohane. Joe is a New York-based writer and editor who's held high-level editorial positions with or written for Esquire, Medium, Entrepreneur, The New York Times, The Boston Globe, The New Yorker, New York Magazine, and others. And now his new book, The Power of Strangers, The Benefits of Connecting in a Suspicious World, is out on Random House Books as of July 13th, 2021. Guys, it's going to be such a fun, fascinating conversation with Joe. But first, really quickly, if you are a podcaster, you listen to this content creator, and uh, you want to interview people like Joe, people that are really cool to talk to and have conversations with, but you don't know how to go about doing that, then head over to guestio.com. It is a, a, a marketplace that uh, my team and I put together recently where you can go find and book quality guests that you want to interview for your content channels. That's guestio.com. Go check it out. Um, depending on when you're listening to this, you might even be able to go download the mobile app. So just search Guestio in your app store and download that today. Check it out, create a free account, see all the different people that we have on there. That's guestio.com. Joe, what's up, man? Thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. 
Hey, Travis, thanks for having me. I'm psyched to be here. Yes, sir. So I, I want to jump in a little bit of context here. Um, you've worked for a couple publications that people may or may not have heard of. And, uh, yeah, and you've had an esteemed career um, in that world. And I always find it fascinating to figure out figure out why, like how, what, what led you to this point. So let's rewind the clock. We're going to take it way back. All right. 12, 13-year-old Joe Cohane talked to me about you know family life. Where did you grow up? What were your parents like? Um, how was school? You know, those types of things. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Boston and um, I've lived in New York for about 12 years now. But yeah, I grew up, I had three siblings. I had two parents. My parents are super social people, really social. They, you know, even in their 70s now, they're still making new friends, which is like an amazing accomplishment because so yeah. many people, when they hit their 70s, just kind of withdraw from the world. Like they're still in the world. I mean, people do that when people. they hit their 50s. <laughs> people do that when they hit their 30s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, but no, it's, but it's, for me, it's like, it's kind of inspiring to see like they, they acquire pals, you know, Definitely. which is really cool. And I, I always like <clears> making a lot of friends too. So, so that was inspiring. My father and all my siblings are funeral directors. So I grew up in the funeral business which everybody always thinks is like grim and bleak, but that's actually very social too, because you're just dealing with humans in a really, really, in a real way, mm, in a very yeah. profound way at a very difficult moment. So, you, you know, people who do that well, and I'm not one of those people, I, I worked in the business for a little bit. They're just really good at connecting with people. They're good at mm. kind of reassuring people, helping sure. people make the right decisions under like a lot of strain, um, that sort of thing. But yeah, you know, like my family are all kind of talkers. Um, I grew up in Boston. That's just like a fairly, you know, it's like a city of loudmouths, at least when I was growing up there. It's a very talky place. Uh, as you may have heard, I don't know if it's quite the same now. I haven't lived there in a long time now. But talkers for sure. Uh, when I was a kid, I was into sports. I was really into baseball. I was really into the Red Sox. And still? I wasn't. No, it's, I could write a psychology textbook on my relationship with Boston Red Sox. <laughs> but after they, uh, after they won in 2004, I remember sitting in a bar in Cambridge with my oldest friend and they won, they beat the Cardinals and we went crazy. We were psyched. And, uh, and then my buddy looked at me and he was just like, what the F are we supposed to do now? Like your whole identity as a Red Sox fan was bound up in just finding like incredibly painful and novel ways of suffering and losing exactly. every year. Yeah. And so that I like that was one of the reasons I just kind of lost interest. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, so I'm very, yeah. very familiar with that. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, yeah it's a we, weird we just haven't of... had the Super Bowl win yet, like you guys were able to get. Right. So yeah. I'm, yeah. And I'm then the, my the, fingers, man. <laughs> it'll happen eventually. <laughs> The, yeah, the, 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 I just kind of lost interest. But, it, you know, the real turning point for me was in high school. I was like a pretty normal kid and, and just big into sports and stuff like that. And I just fell in with uh, kind of the artistic crowd. I just started making some friends outside of my original friend group. And, uh, and these were kids who were like musicians and they wanted to be writers and stuff. And I just I really liked them. Um, I really liked what they were into. I thought they were super interesting. And so I started hanging out with that crowd and decided I wanted to be a writer and read some stuff that really moved me that I really liked and like, you know, never showed a great talent in it. Was never a great student in English in high school, but like mm. that was where the seed came from. And then I went to college and I just got more into it and um, found more things that were really inspiring to me that made me want to write well and just started doing it from there. I mean, it ended up being like a pretty happy coincidence because as it turns out, I'm really not good at anything else. I have like no other marketable <laughs> skills except for this. Uh, I'm not sure if I know how to change a tire. Like I'm, I'm very bad at having bosses. I'm very bad at working in offices. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's kind of the origin of it. It was just, just found this thing and uh, no one in my family did it. Um, I didn't know anyone who did it. So I had to kind of find my own way, um, which, uh, you know, I'll get to this in a minute, but it was a lot of networking, which I, sure. I got pretty good at. And then, you know, I think initially wanted to be a novelist or a fiction writer, and but also didn't want to be poor. So I started looking at journalism. I started finding writers that I really liked who were able to combine like 
reporting and really good writing. And in time, let me think. I ended up, I graduated from college. I got fired from my first two jobs, which were like dot-com jobs that I just, I just insubordinate. Like I can't, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not employable. I'm not, over, I'm not overstating this. I have a real, real stubborn insubordinate streak. Um, but the second one that canned me, um, they gave me severance. They gave me two weeks severance and I took it and I went to New Orleans with a friend of mine and I just decided I was going to spend all of it in like a weekend in New Orleans. So we had like a crazy weekend in New Orleans. I came back to Boston I wrote a story about it. I submitted it to a weekly newspaper in Boston. They published it in short order. They hired me as a columnist. I ended up being a columnist for the paper. I ended up taking over the paper. I was the editor-in-chief for like five years. Wow. And then just kind of kept going from there. So um, ran that paper, started writing for Boston Magazine, started writing for the Boston Globe, eventually started writing for National Magazines, moved to New York, started working at National Magazines. Um, and it's just kind of gone from there. I mean, the networking part of it was really interesting because I like I didn't know anybody. Sure. And so my approach to doing it was, uh, and this is a very sneaky way of doing things, and, and it's probably more applicable to writers because writers are really thin-skinned and, and kind of insecure. And I certainly <laughs> include myself in that group. I, When I read something I liked, I would just send a note to the person that wrote it. And I would yeah. say, I really like this. And I would, you know, wouldn't go on and on because you don't want to be crazy. But um, I would just explain why I liked it. And I would try to do it in such a way that showed familiarity with what they were trying to do, showed that I, you know, I had like, I was someone from whom a compliment might be, you know, like meaningful. Like I wasn't sure. just an yeah. idiot. Like right, I, I, right. I would say something hopefully smart and uh, people started writing back to me. And so from there, I started like getting advice on the business, like started meeting new people, but I just I relentlessly networked early on. Um, and that got me into a couple of pretty good positions. And then from that point on, I think, I haven't applied for a job in 10 years Yeah, at this point. Like everything is just like, I, it's my network. My, my network does everything at this point. It's amazing. It's, it's an incredibly important thing. But, music but I music to my to ears, it. man. Music yeah. to my ears. Uh, that, yeah. I mean, that's, that's everything that we talk about here on the show. And I want to I get into it a little bit further with you. Uh, but, but first, I'm just curious because this caught my attention. You said that your entire family's in the funeral business, but you ended up going to school. And I assume that was for journalism. Did I miss that? No, I didn't. I didn't. I never studied journalism. So okay. I went for, um, I don't even know. I mean, I was like, I was going to ask why, 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 why did you end up going to school? Like your, your parents make you go to school still, or, or did your other yeah. siblings kind of just move into the family business and everybody, everybody went or? to college. So okay. we had that, like my father went to college, which was okay. good, but I was like a musician in high school and, okay. and actually a pretty good one. So I was in like, I would play gigs as like okay. a teenager. Right. Oh, nice. Um, so I just wanted to do that. Um, that is a road to poverty. That's like, that's a rough life. That's not easy life. So my, <laughs> you know, I, and I didn't, I never really fought it, but my parents wanted me to go to college because it gives you options. Sure. Um, I think initially I might've enrolled for psychology or something for no good reason. I mean, I put like, I put so little thought into it just because I, I, I was like, I'll do it. It'll be pro yeah. forma. I mean, that shows how fortunate I was that I had the luxury of just being like, yeah, sure. I'll do the thing that like half of the country desperately wants to do but can't, <laughs> yeah. um, you know what I mean? But I just wasn't, I wasn't super engaged. And, um, yeah. but then once I got there, I took some classes that kind of turned my head and then I got really engaged and I became a pretty good student. Um, halfway through, but but yeah. What did you end up uh, studying then? English and philosophy. So major English, in English and minor in philosophy. Okay. Yep, yep. Got Which it. I really liked. I really like. And again, these are you know these are things that I had no deep experience with, and I had yeah. like my family didn't necessarily go in for this stuff so much. My dad's a pretty good reader, but um, but yeah, it's just like I just followed what I was interested in, and then just kept following it and following it and following it, and, and kind of wound up here. Yeah, philosophy is an interesting one to study. I would have to assume in that type of a context. Yeah, it's great because it's just, it, it's like um, just exercise. It kind of introduces, it, it kind of 
you know, it obviously presents you with different ideas, but it's like challenging and it challenges your assumptions about the world. And it kind of makes you, if you do it, if you study it properly, you really have to wrestle with it a little bit. You know, sure. you're not passively ingesting it. You've got to actually fight with the stuff a little bit. And yeah. I feel like that's really good training generally just for, for anybody. For anybody you're not just like memorizing the answers for the test type of a thing. Yeah, yeah it, has right. to, it has to be a living thing. You have to treat it like a living thing for sure. sure. But, but I like that. Yeah, I'll still read it sometimes. So you end up taking a couple jobs. You get fired from both of them, go down, have a good time, come back, write this thing up, submit it. At what point did you really start getting into the networking piece of it? Like at what point were you like, man, this would be cool if I could really turn this into a career. Like this isn't just like a little side job that I'm doing. Like this would be a really, really awesome career. How do I, I don't know what I'm doing. How do I get in touch with people that are doing this? Like, did you have any, any idea at all? Like what you were doing or how you're doing it? Like, did somebody tell you to reach out to columnists that you, that you found fascinating? Like, why? How did it, how did it start? Happening? Yeah, no, no one. I mean, I just, I never had a mentor. Um, I got into this business in such a weird way and yeah. I ended up like running a newspaper as a weekly newspaper, but I ended up running it like just a few years into my career and no right. one ever told me how to run a newspaper. Um, and I made lots of probably unbelievable mistakes, but it was pretty good, <laughs> pretty good papers. It, it was lively and funny and good local paper. I don't know what inspired me to do it. I knew that I could see from talking to a lot of other people who worked at like small weekly papers, I could see where they stalled out. I could see where they might've lacked the vision or the hustle to like mm. get to the next level. And right. I was never, I was always sort of mistrustful of people who are just kind of like very satisfied about being at that level, which I recognize is unfair because they were good at their jobs and they served sure. their communities. Yeah. But I was always a little impatient with that and I never quite understood it. I, I never quite understood the nature of my ambition either. Do you but I just, I liked way? what I liked. What's that? Do you still feel that way? No, I got a better, better handle on it now. I, yeah, I think I, I misunderstood it for quite a while, actually. And I'll, I'll talk about that. Please. But, but yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to go somewhere else and I knew that you couldn't do anything without meeting other people. And so I just started and I was also like a huge fan, right? So I'm not just like opportunistically pinging people being like, I'm a huge fan of yours, but I yeah. don't actually care what they do. Like I would <laughs> only go for people like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you go, you go for people who are doing what you want to do. Right. Sure. And so I just started putting out feelers and, and getting in touch with people and they would get me in touch with other people who might be looking for somebody or maybe get a coffee with somebody or that sort of thing. And you just fill in your gaps that way. But it, for me, it just seemed like a natural thing to do just because I didn't have access to people. I didn't study journalism. I didn't have an advanced degree. Right. I didn't have like an uncle who worked at the New York Times. Like I was definitely starting pretty cold. And I had to build this thing for myself. But that was basically it. It was, it was me, a combination of just being a fan and, and having no other options for advancement necessarily. Was there a particular follow-up process, like either formally or informally, something that you did on purpose or just kind of happened on accident where, you know, because initiating the conversation, initiating the relationship is step one in networking, right? But, uh, but relationships take a really long time to build. That's the nature of any relationship, where regardless of it's personal or professional or anything else. Um, so was there anything in particular that you can look back on, like I said, even if it was on accident or something that maybe was on purpose that allowed you to follow up with these people and cultivate those types of relationships? Yeah, if they were responsive, if they just gave me like a really pat, don't bother me kind of answer, mm -hmm. just like, oh, thanks, that's cool. You know, I might press a little bit and see if they'll talk a little bit more, but but ordinarily I would stick with the people who were responsive. Mm -hmm. So if somebody like really took the time and um, and gave me some advice, I would just stay in touch with them. I wouldn't harass them, but... Sure. If I had a question, I would ask the question. I'd be super respectful of their time because everybody's really busy. But I would just try to like keep a little bit of patter going. And I do that to this day. I do it all the time. I stay in touch with everybody. I mean, I'm like, I'm a little bit of a Luddite in terms of technology, but I love texting. I text constantly with everybody. I mean, I just texted yeah. with the TV host from Boston who I haven't seen in like eight years because I just, just thought about him. I'm like, you know, what, what, what he's up to. 
that sort of thing. Like offering myself to be useful if they needed something from me. I'm always around. I'm always game. And sorry, I have a screaming child like right against my bedroom door right now. The, no the, worries. Trying to get, I locked the door and it's it's enraged her. She's yeah, become it was, enraged. It was literally happening to me the interview before this one. So oh, don't yeah, worry so, about it. Yeah, I know. I can't <laughs> wait for like pan- pandemic life to be completely behind us. But just that, like patter, you know, like I'm around, I'm interested. You did something like, hey, I really yeah. like that. That was cool. Not taking up a lot of time, not being, not harassing them. Super useful. And and I made a lot of friends that way. And I kind of, a lot of opportunities opened up that way. But most importantly, like I just learned how the business worked from all these people, from like the, the exactly, aging, yeah. like the old Boston Globe reporter who like took me for a beer because he thought my emails were funny. And then just like very brutally disabused me of all my illusions about how the business works. <laughs> uh, like those people are super useful, you know? Um, but yeah, yeah. but I, I also really like them. I mean, I got into a business full of crazy people that I really like. Um, so yeah. it was a pleasure, you know, it wasn't even like, I, I think people fail at networking when they think it's like eating your vegetables. Like it should be pleasurable. It, it should be, you should be in, indulging your curiosity, you know? hundred percent, man. Yeah. If, if it, if it feels like it's a drudge, then maybe you're doing the wrong thing. You know, you're yeah, connecting with absolutely. the wrong people or you're, you're around people who aren't your people. And if they're not your people, then, then that probably feels like a lot of work and mm-hmm. it probably sucks. So right. go find yeah, your yeah, people. Absolutely. Yeah. It should be fun. Absolutely. It should. Yeah. If, like, even if it's ener- even if it drains your energy, it, like it still should be fun. You know, um, I totally agree with you on that. It sounds like you've always subscribed to the, you know, dig your well before you're thirsty type of philosophy. Would you be able to kind of speak into that at all? Yeah, I can't. I mean, I'd like to say that it was my plan, but it wasn't. It just kind of came naturally to me to do it like that. So I, I you know, I, at a certain point, I began to build a career. But I've always been really, really mindful of not doing things just for the sake of advancement. Sure. Like really yeah. following my curiosity, really asking myself all the time, like, do I like this? Do I want to do more of this? Do I want to do something else? Reaching out to people. So it's been very improvised and it's been a very messy, like, I'm not one of those people who are like ready to go out of college and who just know what to do. You do this, you get this, you check this right. box, you go to that. Like, it's been very messy for me. Um, which is harder because I'm always trying stuff. I'm jumping to different publications. I'm doing different types of stories. I'm beca- I'm going from writing to editing, um, all that stuff. It was much more improvised. But the end result of that was that I didn't get locked into something that ultimately I didn't like. Like exactly. I was kind of, you know, I interviewed this guy, Mike White, who's this actor and, and writer and director a while ago. And he was like, I've never had a, I never had a midlife crisis. And I was like, why did you never have a midlife crisis? He's like, because I just had a crisis every day. Like every day I was like, is this the right thing? Like, am I doing the right thing? And no, it didn't paralyze me. Super successful. Right, but um, right. just always checking with yourself, just being like, is this what I want? Is this working? Is this what I expected it to be? So for me, it was a lot of that. And a lot of that worked really well with like a networking approach that just had me reaching out to people all the time and asking them questions about what they're doing. There's so much value to what you said there because um, a lot of people will set a destination so early on in life and never remember to adjust the destination as they continue to go throughout. Like you're not the same person that you were when you were 20. You're not the same person that you were when you were 25 or 30 or 40. Like you're you're constantly growing. You should be anyway, constantly growing, constantly changing, constantly evolving, experimenting with things, figuring out, man, I like this. I don't like that. Let's do this. Let's not do that. And uh, if you never take the time to adjust and get some clarity around where you're headed, then you might end up just being at the top of the wrong mountain. You know, you could yeah, be 15 yeah. years into a career, get to the top of the mountain and be like, wait a second. I want to be on that mountain. Why, why, why did I spend the last 12 years? Like the first couple of years, I thought that I was, I wanted to be here, but then right. like I never took account for where I was headed and now I'm here, but I want to be over there. And then you start over when you're 53, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. Point, when yeah. It's much better to get a quarter of the way up the mountain and be like, this mountain sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I go find another mountain. <laughs> exactly. 
This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So I, I, I want to talk a little bit about, about your book as well, Joe, because this is, uh, this is, I mean, the exact thing that we're already talking about. It lends itself really easily to this conversation, which is the power of strangers, the benefits of connecting in a suspicious world. Why this topic and why now? Yeah. I mean, I mentioned my parents earlier that I always watched them just chatting people up all the time and it worked really well for them. And they, you know, they expanded their networks. They've made friends. They learned stuff. Travel was much more fun when you're like interacting with people all the time. And I always did it, not to the extent that they did, but, but I did it. Like I like talking to people um, in the past, but I realized a few, a few years ago that I just stopped doing it and I, had, I didn't choose to stop doing it. It just went away. Like a whole category of social interaction had just been eliminated from my life. And I didn't even notice, you know, like um, talking to people in the supermarket, talking to people in bars, all of it was gone. And what it was replaced with was just like looking at my phone. Um, and so I wondered what it was that like caused that to happen. Why don't I do this anymore? And for me, it was a mix of things. It was number one, I had a young kid and I had a demanding job and I was just tired, right? And, yep. and interacting with strangers is like, cognitively demanding because you have to pay attention on a level that you don't when you're talking to a friend. You're mm -hmm. looking at each other's body language. You're studying paralinguistic cues, like all that stuff. You have to really pay attention. You don't have a frame of reference. And it can be kind of, you can feel kind of vulnerable doing that and you can feel tired after you're doing it. So I think I was really tired and I was preoccupied and that kind of shut it down. But I think also just technology um, made it possible for me to just go through my entire life without ever talking to a stranger. And this is me, like I'm fortunate because I don't work in a supermarket. Like I can as a middle-class person, like I can remove myself from the world in a way, right? I can do everything yeah. on my phone. I can do all my communication on my phone. I can order everything I need on the internet. It's very easy for me to just cut that out. And so I, I've just found, I had started doing that for everybody. I would go to the drugstore and use the self-checkout counter because I didn't want to talk to the person at the cash register. I would order everything on my phone. Like I wouldn't ask for directions anymore. I wouldn't 
if I was somewhere where there was a song playing that I liked, I wouldn't ask the person what it was. I would like take out Shazam and like listen to it on Shazam on my phone. And I didn't feel great about it. Once I noticed that it had happened, I felt like I, I had lost a, like a source of like surprise and enjoyment in my life. Right. Yeah. Cause um, a lot of conversations with strangers, if you, if you do it right, like it just goes in directions you don't expect it to. And you mm. learn things and you gain new perspectives and all kinds of good stuff. So I decided that I was going to start trying to do it myself, but doing it myself, like literally rebuilding myself as a social creature, I wanted to understand all the research behind it. So I started studying all the psychology papers on like what happens when we talk to strangers, why we don't talk to strangers. And then I went like way deeper looking at where, how do places form where it's the norm to talk to strangers? What creates a culture in which it's not the norm to talk to strangers? What are all these different interactions of all these little factors that make it that either encourage us to have this sort of conversation or discourage us from having this kind of conversation. And it turns out that it's actually really good for you. Um, there's like a growing body of psychology research that shows that it's actually really important. This is something that causes people anxiety and people are like very pessimistic about talking to strangers, but um, there, there are tremendous benefits to it. What would be some of those benefits? So you can break it down between individual and social, right? So individual, um, the research is finding again and again and again, and this is research involving different types of people, different personalities in different countries around the world, talking to strangers, even kind of in passing in the context of a coffee shop or something, talking to your barista um, increases your sense of happiness. It enhances your sense of well-being. It enhances your sense of belonging. It mm. makes you feel more connected to the place where you live. Um, some researchers find that it makes you feel more trusting towards humanity because you're having like a positive interaction and you can say like, well, at least that person's not like horrendous. Maybe yeah, other people right. are not horrendous. All these things. These are really valuable and they're really valuable now because there's a lot of research on the loneliness epidemic. There's like, mm, you know, yeah. there's the rates of loneliness that are being reported are, are sky high. And this is like a bona fide public health problem. So if talking to strangers alleviates loneliness, then you have like a really cheap and easy way to deal with what is becoming like an intractable social problem. So all that stuff on a personal level, additionally, you know, to, to your focus, when you meet someone new and they come from like a different background than you do, their perspective will be different. You'll come to realize that their realities are different. You'll come to realize that maybe your assumptions about the world might be too simple. Maybe they need to be expanded. Maybe they need to be challenged. Maybe your ideas about the marketplace are too simple. Uh, maybe someone has a better idea about the marketplace than you do, but you can, you know, you get all this stuff. You can like bounce ideas off of people and you can learn more about what motivates people and like what runs the world in a way. Um, so that's super valuable too. It can make you more empathetic. It can, you know, I think it can make you wiser to understand that people's lives are different than yours. Um, people are complicated. People are interesting. Yeah. You know, people that you ordinarily wouldn't have even paid any attention to. Like if you really talk to them, you're like, oh, this is, this is an interesting person, right? It just, it, it pauses you, it forces you to stop and like consider that other people are people, you know, which is sad right. that you have to do that, but you kind of do, you know, yeah, I, I'll cop to it. I felt that way. <laughs> and socially, like there are social benefits to that too. So if people feel less lonely, then the loneliness epidemic is like alleviated. And if people have like a more complex idea of what motivates other people and a better sense of what their lives are like, that's good for democratic politics, all this stuff, you know, um, if we can get to a point as a country where people on different sides recognize like at the very least the basic humanity of people they disagree with, then that's right. a, that's a win because we're not there right now. Uh, we're, we just dehumanize each other at this point. So yeah, if you did it on a big enough scale, it's actually really good for society too. Yeah. And to your point, it's really easy to do. It's really easy to dehumanize somebody that you've never talked to or communicated with. You know, if you're, if you only live in the echo chamber of your peer groups, 
then it's really easy to demonize an entire other group of people that doesn't think the way that you think because none of you understand the perspective of the person that doesn't think the way that you think. And how would you expect to be able to gain perspective there if you're never okay with, if you're just Netflix and chilling every night and ordering your Starbucks to your apartment in the morning instead of having conversations with people? Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you have to, you have to actually talk to people in order to, to get a, a, like a sufficiently complex understanding of who they are. And only then can you have an argument with them. You know, I, I spent some time with this group called Braver Angels that literally teaches Republicans and Democrats to speak to each other and um, like teaches them to sit at a table and like not throttle each other. Right. This is, <laughs> this is easier said than done. And a lot of it, like what they had to do is they had to put them together physically together. Right. Because, you know, the nature of America right now is that these different groups don't even live together anymore. They don't meet each other. They don't have any interactions, very little interactions. So they'd have to sit them together and they would have to really rigidly structure these conversations so people would recognize common humanity before they got to politics, right? Because the way we argue about politics is you pick the issue and then you fight over the issue, but you never pause to contemplate what brought the person to their belief, who this person is. Like you just try to smash them down and then that's it. Nothing ever gets resolved and no one ever wins the argument. You're just playing past each other. Yep. At Braver Angels, they would sit them down and they would make them like talk about who they were. So like this interview that we're doing here, get a sense of each other. Where'd you grow up? What were your parents like? Do you have a dog? Do you have any kids? Do you have any grandparents, grandchildren? And they'll talk a little bit about themselves. And gradually the two sides will see that the other is like relatable and human. Right. And then you talk, then you start getting into trickier stuff. What, you know, so you believe this, you believe this about abortion. Like you don't say, how can you possibly believe that? You say, what got you there? Like walk me through the process that led to that belief. So you can see their thinking, right? Every aspect of this is like humanizing the other person. Yeah. You're seeing them as thinking people. You're seeing them as family people. You're seeing them as people with like diverse experiences and not just like cogs in a machine. If you don't have the opportunity to connect as people, to talk to each other, you'll never get to a point where you can actually have a productive argument over something. Yeah, sure. And so a little bit of context too. I, I grew up super, super religious and, and I don't want to move the conversation there. But uh, to your point, what the reason why I bring that up is that whenever I have conversations with people on anything about that, I'm, I'm, I tell my you know friends from growing up and a bunch of people, like I'm always willing to have the conversation. But you have to at least come into the conversation being willing to adopt a different perspective if it's possible that you might be wrong. And, uh, and it, uh, otherwise, I'm not going to have the conversation with you because like you said, you're not actually listening to me for the sake of listening to me and hearing out my perspective. You're only listening to me to search for holes in my argument so that you can convince me to come over to your side again. Right. Like right. that is not the point of a conversation. Yeah. That and is no an one's, argument, not a debate. No one's, you know, it's not even an argument. It's not even anything, you know. Um, yeah. it's just a yell a thon. But um, exactly. but no one has ever been no one has ever been converted by that approach. No exactly. one's ever had their change mind their mind changed by just being like assaulted. You tend to like you know, you, you double down when someone does that to you. Right. You know, th there's a really, I, I spent some time with this guy named Theodore Zeldin, who's like this legendary English historian and his mission in life, like his, his, um, he said that this is, this is like his, what was the word? His vocation is that he wants to talk to everyone in the world. He wants to talk to every stranger. Right. And so mm -hmm. he's in his nineties now, he's talked to thousands and thousands of people. He's written books about this. He's a brilliant guy, mm -hmm. but that's what he wants. And he wrote a book called conversation, the conversation of the art of conversation that's really profound and really good. And he said, the ideal sort of conversation, if you're going to have a real conversation with someone, the line was, you have to be willing to emerge a slightly different person. 
Mm. Right. So if you're yeah. really going to talk to someone, you have to be willing to be, you have to, you have to be willing to change. Um, you have to be open to what they're saying. I love um, that. And yeah. that doesn't mean you have to change your mind. Doesn't mean you have to be like a pushover. It doesn't mean you have to like um, soften your beliefs exactly. or anything like that. Yep. But a real conversation is that a real conversation can actually change you. Yeah. Um, I, and I, 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 I had that, that happen a lot. Yeah. It's, it's his whole mission is great. He's, he's an awesome guy. Very well said. I feel, I feel like I, I read something from Jordan Peterson that was very, very similar to, to what you just said and, and probably was influenced by this other person. If, if uh, Jordan came to that conclusion at some point. And another thing that I think also came from Jordan Peterson that reminded me, uh, I read somewhere, I think it was Jordan, uh, uh, something that I, I, I wrote immediately in my notes section on my phone. I probably should have written who said it as well. But uh, all, all I know is that it says, accept truth wherever you find it. And that was uh, a big thing for me in, this, in the context of having conversations with people because you know, uh, when, when you grow up uh, staunch, either far left, far right, whatever, if you grow up with a very concrete perspective on how the world operates, then it's really difficult to, to parse what is truth and what is not truth from somebody who inherently disbelieves in the thing that you believe in. And it makes it basically impossible to have any sort of injected perspective into your worldview if somebody doesn't share the same worldview. And that was one thing that I took away from that was like, accept truth wherever you find it. Like, no matter if somebody is complete polar opposite of me in, in some core belief system, if they're right about something, they're right about something. And, and giving that person the ability to speak into that is something that I found to be extremely rewarding for me as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You have to you have to stay open to it. And it's scary to be open. It's scary to right. have like your worldview challenge because then the world just seems like chaos. I mean, the, the reason why people have really, really rigid beliefs is because they're trying to order a chaotic world. Right. Uh, but that's not the world. You know, you can you can will that all you want. It's not going to happen. You know, there was some some really interesting work by a guy named Arthur Aaron, who's a psychologist, American psychologist. And he has the theory of self-expansion. And what self-expansion is, is just like personal growth in a way. But it's the way he would explain it is like if you have a very meaningful relationship with someone, they change you. Like you're expanded just by virtue of access to like their experiences, their insight, their wisdom, that sort of thing. But you can also be expanded by travel. You can be expanded by books. You can be mm. expanded by all kinds of stuff. Then Aaron told me that he believed that you could be expanded by strangers too. And the way like that, that sort of growth, that sort of expansion is basically like when you have an, a meaningful interaction with someone, when you, when you have a meaningful interaction with someone who has a truth that you recognize as being true, or their perspective is different and it's different in such a way that it sticks in your head where you're like, ah, okay, I, I wasn't thinking about this clearly. I wasn't considering that perspective. Um, then that expands you too. That person almost becomes like a resident in your head, just in the same way that like a family member, a spouse, a friend become residents in your head. You know, like we think oftentimes we're trying to make plans, we're trying to make decisions. And sometimes we think like, what would my sister say if she saw, mm. if I did this, you know? But when you talk to a lot of strangers and you have a lot of interactions, I mean, I'm sure you experienced this as a podcast host. All those people kind of hang around, the good mm -hmm. ones, right? Yeah, um, right? And so you'll start to run your mouth and then you'll be like, ah, actually, that generalization doesn't hold up because I, I met this person um, who was like, believe <laughs> exactly. that, but was different, you know? And in doing this book, I, I had the, like, the pleasure of just meeting lots of people who had different lives than I did. And it makes me really hard. It makes it really difficult for me to be like a super opinionated bastard like I was before, <laughs> you know? Because I just feel like, you know, exactly. I can, I'm like a moderate liberal New Yorker. Um, so yeah. like where I'm from, where I live now, it should be easy for me to just like, to like write off the South. Right. Yeah. But right. I can't because I've been down there a lot and I've met a lot of people. And every time I feel like the clannish impulse to be like, F that whole area, 
I remember that I've like, I've met a lot of people. I, yeah. I understand that it's more complex than I might otherwise think if I hadn't had experience down there with a, with a, like a decent spectrum of people. So it kind of keeps you on the rails. Like it kind of keeps you from, from having really extreme beliefs about people, which yeah, is really I, useful. I think. I, I, I agree. I agree. And uh, man, it's been such a fun conversation, man. I, I, uh, I feel like we, I could talk with you about this for a lot longer. Maybe, maybe we'll do a part two to this sometime, but the power of strangers, if you're listening right now, you guys know every time we recommend a book here on the show, I tell you, don't wait, pick it up now because life gets in the way and it gets really busy. So if anything that we've been talking about, which if you listen to the Build Network podcast, I would assume that this episode has uh, been right up your alley, then please, please, please stop whatever you're doing. Pick up a copy of The Power of Strangers right now um, on uh, on Amazon or at your local bookstore, wherever it is that you like to buy books. And uh, and maybe maybe we'll do a part two to this sometime at some point in the future, Joe. But uh, I appreciate it for coming on the show. I want to move into uh, really quick, the last question that I, that I have for you, then we'll move into the random around. And uh, I'm just curious, I, I have to ask this question because it's it's the question that I've asked every guest that's ever come on the show. Um, and we've gained a lot of different perspectives and insights into it. So I'm eager to hear what you have to say about it. Who you know, or what you know, which of those two do you view as the most important asset in life and why? <laughs> um, who you know, without that, what you know, seldom makes a difference. Yeah, I yeah. think. Yeah. And both are important. But but I mean, from my experience, we're, we're social creatures. Um, we're meant to be social. Um, part of being social is building a network, having a lot of people that you can you can learn from and you can you know you can work with. Couldn't agree more, man. Let's go ahead and move into the last segment. Something I have to call the random round. Just quick random questions, quick random answers. Ready? Yep. All right. What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? Filmmaking. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be and why? Bruce Springsteen. Because he seems like he'd be a really smart and interesting guy to talk to. And also, I wouldn't be, I feel like he wouldn't be super intimidating. He's got the common touch. That's what I look for in a, in a dream conversation partner. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? A little bit of everything, just because of the nature of my business. But books, I read a ton of books all the time. Is, in, in paper books, yeah. What's a book that you would recommend uh, to the audience? I have like a pile of stuff right here, actually. So I'll just pull one. Right over here. Um, given that you were talking about religion earlier, there's a guy named Alan de Bodden, who's like an English philosopher. And he wrote this book called Religion for Atheists that is basically like stripping out a lot of this, the things in religion that are really useful and really helpful and really beneficial that atheists or people who are disinclined to believe in religion would just like throw away. Mm. Uh, it's, it's challenging. It's, it's entertaining. It's really smart. It's really well-researched. It's great. It's a lot of fun. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Um, I have a small child, so I try to wake up before she does so I can get some reading done. I wake up at 5.30 or so, make coffee, read until she wakes up. Then she wakes up and we have to get her ready for school until 7 o'clock. I walk her to school and then at 8.30 and then I walk to a coffee shop um, that's like my favorite coffee shop, which I, I became friends with the owner. Um, have a chat with her and then my day begins after that. So I, I rent an office near that coffee shop. I might go to my office or I might go somewhere else. But that's basically the routines. Two cups of coffee, quick chat with the owner of the coffee shop, and then I'm, I'm good to go after that. What is your go-to pump-up song? Uh, at the moment, should I be embarrassed about this? <laughs> I shouldn't be embarrassed about anything. Uh, it's a lot of Dropkick Murphys. Uh, I'm from <laughs> Boston. I love Irish music. I've always really liked them. I listen to a ton of different kinds of music, but at the moment, that's like that new record they did is, is pretty good pump-up music. What is something that you are not very good at? 
Uh, I mean, everything that's not writing or playing music. Um, Perfect. <laughs> what am I really? Yeah, no, I mean, the, the list is too long. This, I would I would ruin the lightning round if I got into all the things that I was bad at. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be much of a lightning round at that point. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> As we get everything wrapped up here, Joe, it's been a lot of fun. What play, uh, where, where's the place online that you want our listeners to go connect with you the most? You can go to my website, which, which is joecohane.net. There's an email there. If you want to share anything or ask me any questions, I'm always around. I'm also on Twitter at um, just at Joe Cohane. So J-O-E-K-E-O-H-A-N-E. But email and Twitter is probably the best way to do it. J-O-E-K-E-O-H-A-N-E. Go connect with him at his website at .com or at Twitter uh, at the same uh, username handle there. Joe, thanks so much for coming on the show today, man. I really appreciate it. If you're listening, please go pick up a copy of The Power of Strangers. I promise you will not regret it. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Joe. Thanks, Travis. That was great. Thanks for having me on. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.